The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masichet Sota has been dedicated by our good friends and Talmud, Mr. Haimi and Dina Dana, for the success of their children and especially the Fuashirema Moshe Ben Dina. and we are right on the bottom of the Amud bottom line. We're going back to some Dirashot regarding the sending of the Meragelim, the spies. So the Pasuk says that the Meragelim, they returned back to the camp. So the Pasuk says, They returned from uh, spying the land. It's giving me the full Pasuk over there. It says, And they went and they came to Moshe and to Aaron. Now if it says already, Why does it have to say over here, Why does it have to say, They came back, And they went, So it's extra. So says, It comes to make a cash between they're going to their coming back. Just like when they came back. They came back with bad advice. They came back with a sinister plot to speak bad about the land. Even when they left, which means there was also uh, a sinister plot. In their minds, it was also the plot was from already, already from the time that they were uh, they were going. I saw once a beautiful explanation on this over What does it mean at the time that they were going? The Pasuk says, Kulam Anashim. Rashi says, Hashurim. They were significant. They were important people. So explanation is, if you look at when Yeshua Benun sent the spies, his set of spies, um, many years later, he sent two spies, and the Pasuk says he sent them Heresh Lemur. And the Gemara says, Heresh meaning on the, uh, you know, on the silence, like the spies do, they do it, everything clandestinely, Heresh Lemur. But the Gemara's Doresh Atikre Heresh Ele Heres. Heres, make yourself like Kili Heres. Make yourself like pottery. Which means pottery is the lowest of the Kilim. Yoshua was saying the key to your success is going to be you have to do away with your ego. It's not about your uh, kavod. You have to be willing to do the shilihut, the shem shamayim, without any uh, personal interests involved. The problem with the original Miragilim is, as the Zohar Kadosh says, they had an ego. The issue was they didn't want to lose power. And therefore, had they gone with the same attitude as the second spies, that they would have made themselves like Kili Heres, they would have been okay. But the problem was, Kulam Anashim, Hashuvim Hayu. They were Hashuv. They held themselves as important. You can't succeed if you hold yourself as important. So, Adabah, the Hashuvim is, is to their detriment. The Hashuvim is, uh, is a problem. They should have went without the uh, without the anyan of the hashivu. So even when they went already, there was a uh, deficiency in what was happening over there. Comes the Gemaran says, They come along and they give the report. What do they say? We came to the land, and it says. Um, they talk about how it's a flowing uh, land of milk and honey, which really is to the praise of the land. And then it says, However, the land over there is mighty fierce. And the Pasuk continues, They're fortified cities. So the question is, 
Why then did they begin to praise the land? If their intention was to malign it and speak bad about it, so what do they have to start off? It's about Haramud Mashal, it comes again with Rajas Amar Abu Hanan, Mishubir Bimir Kola, Shonara, Shein, Bod Dabar, Emit, Bithilato, Emit Kayim Bisofo. If you want your Lashonara to be accepted, you have to sprinkle a little truth in there. Once there's a little truth in there, then already it gives a uh, credibility to the words that follow. Uh, that's why there's a famous Dinashav, there's a uh, uh, tradition that we have. Uh, a saying that's a shaker in Loraglaim. What does it mean, shaker in Loraglaim? A lie has nothing to stand on. But if you look at the letters, the way we spell shaker is Sheen, Kof, Resh. So the tradition says that all those letters over there do not have a base. The Sheen comes to a point, and therefore it does not have any stability. The Kof is a one legged letter, also it's uh, shaky, and the Resh is also a one legged letter. So shaker in Loraglaim. So Marana Bet Yosef asks a question. He says that's good for Ashkenazim. That right to sheen that comes to a point. But according mm-hmm. to the Sefaradin, our sheen has a base on the bottom. Oh, so you see, Sheker has a Naglaim. So he says it's based on this Gemara. That if a Sheker is going to be accepted, it has to have a little credibility. So the credibility of the Sheker is on the base of the, uh, of the sheen. Comes the Gemara and says, Vayas Kalev Eta'am El Moshe. So it says, Kalev silenced the uh, nation to Moshe. As we know, uh, Kalev uh, was Mesit, the people, he fooled them into thinking that he was part of the plot of the spies, that's what they gave him to speak, but in truth he was really uh, against the spies, but the way he did it was in a tricky way, when the Gavarazim explained exactly what he did. Patah, Yoshua, so Yoshua Benun started off to speak against the spies, they come, he started to speak, he's speaking, you know, that the land is good. So the Jewish people, they come along and say, This man over here who is Rosh Katua, which means he is, literally he is cut. He is going to speak. Now what does it mean he is uh, cut? So uh, Rashi says over here, uh, Actually, Kalev silenced Yeshua. So that gave more credibility to the people that they thought Yoshua Kalev was uh, with them. The Amru lo Rosh Katua Yedaber Nisha Rosho Katua She'en lo Banim Litol Halik Baaris Hu Yedaber Bifanenu, which means Yoshua Benun, as your tradition tells us, did not have any sons. He only had daughters, and therefore they're coming along to say, "Yeah, what, what, does, he, what does he care? He does now. He, he shouldn't have an opinion on the land. He has no sons." Inherit the land, so therefore his opinion shouldn't uh, shouldn't weigh uh, in anything. Let the people that have children that the, 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 the land of Israel is going to. We have to go to war. We have to fight and all that. We're going to put our, put our boys in the danger over here in the war. We have something to lose. There's nothing to lose. This got to over here. And therefore, he has no right to uh, to talk on this uh, subject. So I saw brought that from the Mefarshim that they also say that what does it mean Rosh Katua? Why do you call him Rosh Katua? Because the uh, letter Yud was added to Yeshua's name. So they call the letter Yud a cut-off letter because it's not a, it's not a complete letter, even though it's complete in its um, in its writing, but it's a small letter. So they call him Rosh Katua, the one with the letter Yud that was added to his name. He's gonna he's gonna talk. So uh, I saw a beautiful explanation. They said, so so what is that? Why, why is that uh, held against him? So he has a letter Yud at the beginning of his name. What's the what's the problem with that? Rosh Katua. So the Mefarshim explained like this: that where did that Yud come from? That Yud came from Sarayimenu. Now we know a tradition. That what? That uh, the letter um, Yud was changed because Sarai, when she was Sarai, she could not bear children. So that letter Yud was a letter of infertility. When was she able to have children? When God took the Yud away and put it in, put the hit, right? So that Yud over there, that's what caused Yeshua to be infertile. That's why he didn't have sons, because he got the Yud from uh, Sarah. So, so that was one of the same Dirash. He's Rosh Katua. He doesn't have children. And where does that come from? From the letter Yud, because now he's connected to Sarah. So he has that same, uh, same kawas. That's the connection between the, the two Dirash. In any event, so it sounds like that Kalim was against Yoshua. He, 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 he shut him down. So comes to Gebaran and says, Amar imishta'ina. He said like this, if I'm going to speak against them... They're going to silence me up, the people. So I can't show my colors. So he comes along and he starts saying like this. You think this is the only thing Ben Amram did? Now by calling him Ben Amram, that already showed us that he wasn't, he was like making himself that he's not on good terms with Moshe Rabbeinu, because you don't call a person by his father's name unless you don't want to, 
you know, you don't want to mention his name. So you see in this Gemara an interesting point, that when you don't mention somebody's name by first name, that's an indication that there's a um, there's strife between. He didn't want to call him uh, Moshe. That's why uh, by Haman, the Havdil, when uh, Haman was um, uh, maligning the Jewish people, he came along and said that all day long they're involved in Shehi Pehi. So the Gemara, she says, what does Shehi Pehi mean? Shabbat Ayom Pesach Ayom. That, so the Gemara, the, the, the Mephashim asked, how come he didn't say Shabbat Ayom Pesach Ayom? How come he said Shehi Pehi? Because he had such a disdain to the religion that he couldn't even say the word Shabbat. He didn't even want to say the word Pesach. So you see that when the opposite is true, that when you refer somebody by his first name, it brings Ahavat to the person. That's why it's very important to always remember a person's first name and refer to him by the first name. Because by mentioning the name of a person, it creates a link between the person that's still and the person that is receiving. Over here you see, yeah, Ben Amram, right away, Ben Amram. It's a, that's why um, the Pasuk says when Shaul HaMelech was against David HaMelech, before he became king, he says, Madua lo ba ben Yishai. Gam temol, gam ayom ilalachem. So your first name is ben Yishai. So again, you see, there was a uh, strife between. That's a rule. In any event, Savre beginut. The people thought he was speaking beginut of Moshe Rabbeinu. They thought that uh, he was going to say something uh, negative. So what happened? Ishtiku. So everybody kept quiet there with Kalev has to say. Amar lehu. So all of a sudden he comes along and makes an about face. He tells the Jewish people, look how good Moshe Rabbeinu was. Hosianu mimisrayim. Vekaralanu etayam. Vekhilanu etaman. Look what he did to us. He took us out of Mislayim. He gave us, uh, he split the sea. He gave us the man. If Moshe Rabbeinu would tell us to build ladders, to climb up the ladders to go to the heavens, should we not believe him? Which means look how much he did for us, Moshe Rabbeinu, over here. So he comes along and says, let us uh, rise up, and we will indeed uh, inherit the land. That she says, which means not to Israel. Let's go up those ladders. Which is, even if he tells us to climb up ladders, we have to listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Comes again and says, But the people that were the other spies, They said, we're unable. And the reason why they said we're unable, the Pasuk says, Because they are stronger than us. So simply they were saying, they're stronger than us, we're weak. You know, we can't, we can't fight them. Comes the Gibran says, At that moment, the Meragilim said a very strong word. So the Gibran says, Now that's a funny, Don't read it, but So that she says, Logaras. Take that out. Which is the word mimenu is, is interpreted twofold. It could mean because they are, they are stronger than us or they are stronger mimenu than him. Hashem. Hashem. So what they were really saying is God doesn't have the strength to oust the Guim from the land. So it's really not an Al-Tikri. It's just a, you know, another interpretation. Even the host, even God, cannot remove his uh, vessels from there. Now that's already a Pikosut. When they're coming along and saying, even they were questioning the divine uh, strength to take the people out. Now this needs to be, um, needs to be interpreted. So the Mephalchim explained, they're going to say that God doesn't have the strength. Uh, God has the strength. Who did it to the Egyptians? So God doesn't have the strength to take out the uh, seven nations. So they were held, they held like this. That uh, Eres Kena'an is obviously not fought on natural uh, level. It's fought on a supernatural level. It's based on what? How many Averot the Kena'anim have? And how many Mitzvot the Jews have? So they held that God is not going to allow a victory... Because the Goim's sins have not reached capacity, and our mitzvot are not strong enough to warrant a victory. The Pasuk says, Tenu oz Give strength to God. We have to give strength to God. God wants to be Rahamim. God wants to do good for the Jewish people. 
But we empower God, so to speak, to do what He wants to do. How do we give God strength? By doing mitzvot. By doing the divine will. By doing the, uh, the, the, the learning. So what does that do? Kivyachu, we're giving God the strength to do what He wants to do. So that's what they meant over there. God doesn't have the strength because they don't have enough avirot and we don't have enough mitzvot. That's one way to interpret exactly what the spies meant to say. Comes again what I'm says, Eres ochelet yoshevei. Right, they came along and said it's a land that eats its inhabitants. Darash Raba Amar Kadosh Baruchu, and he has shaftia letova vehem hashru lera. I did something good for them, and they looked at it with the wrong way. And he has shaftia letova. You know why it was a good thing? They called hecha de matu. Whatever city they came to in Israel, met hashivadidu. The hashuv guy of that town, that day that the spies arrived, he died. In order that they will become preoccupied in burying the guy, and they won't get to court. So therefore it was a master plan by Borei Olam. Every time they got to a certain place, they were, uh, they were freed from any surveillance, because they were too busy burying their dead. They have to know that that was a miracle, because when the two spies came in in the times of Yeshua ben Nun, immediately when they entered the land, and they infiltrated, they were caught. Already the uh, government had, uh, had radar on them. And here you had 12 spies, and they were there for 40 days, and nobody picked up on them. So God says, I did a chesed for them. Wherever they went, there was uh, funerals. The Amri, and some say it a little differently. Iyov nach nafsheh. Who died? Iyov. Some, the quite to it puts Iyov, the great Sadiq, in the time of Tebragirim, and he died. And everybody entered the Hesped and came to the Hesped of Iyov. And they came along and interpreted it as a bad thing. And what did they say? It is a land that it, it, it eats its inhabitants. Now the question is, if it was only Iyov that passed away, why would it be a land that eats its inhabitants? There was one death. Which is Bishlam, according to the first explanation, wherever they went there was a funeral. Okay, there's, there's a land that there's a plague. But Shekhar, if you tell me there's only one guy that died, and it was just a mass funeral for Eov, so why does that uh, scare the people? So one guy died, uh, so what's, what's the problem? So I saw um, from a, uh, one of the uh, Mefarshim, he says, he says interesting interpretation like this. You have? There was a custom... Remaining. Lecture mode on. There was a custom in the olden days that whenever a regular person would die, they would not bring him to the funeral, they would put him in a cave, like in a catacomb. And they would store all these graves in that place. When a tzaddik would pass away, they would bring out all the kevarim, all the old uh, uh, graves, of, of the coffins of the people that passed away, and make a funeral together with the tzaddik, because they held mm. that with the tzaddik, he'll take all the neshamot up to uh, wherever they're taking them up to. It's like they'll, ta- they'll tailgate on the neshama of the tzaddik. So what happened? For many years, people would die. Once Iyov died, now so hundreds and hundreds of Kevarim are coming out of the woodwork. So now they came along, they didn't know it was one man that died. They thought that now look how many people died uh, in one day over here. Hundreds of people. So therefore, it's not uh, one person. But indeed, God did this again to preoccupy the people. So you see, what was the problem with the, with the spies? The problem with the spies was is they reported what they saw. See, they didn't lie, they did see mass funerals. But the problem is they didn't look at it with the right vision. They didn't look at it with the right eyes. It was their eyes that looked at it in a sinister way and therefore did not read it properly. Comes the Gemaran says, When they saw all these giants, they came along and said, We felt like grasshoppers. And then they come along and add, and they say, and you know what? They thought of us like we were grasshoppers. So the Gemara says, The spies were liars. You know why? We can accept that they said we felt like grasshoppers. Okay, they know how they felt. But how did they know that that's the way they were perceived by the Kena'anim? So the Gemara says, Veloi. That's not so. They, they, they weren't lying. You know why? When all the people were dying, right? So they had to give the mourners a sa'uda. Even the Kenanim had a custom to give the mourners a sa'uda. That's sa'uda tavra'a. That the first meal after the uh, burial, right? Where were they giving the sa'uda tavra'a? 
Under the trees. They would go to like the forest area, they would sit under a shady tree over there, they would give the mourners something to eat. Now, where were the spies hiding? In the forest, by the trees. So when they saw the people coming to give the Sa'udah, So they climbed up the trees to hide from the Kena'anim. So now the spies are hiding in the trees. And what did they hear the Kena'anim people say? They heard the people say, we just saw people that looked like grasshoppers that are jumping in the trees. <laughs> so they actually heard that the that the Canadian looked at them as grasshoppers. They were small little uh, people compared to the Canadian. They were giants. He said, "Oh, those grasshoppers look like human beings that they're uh, they're climbing in the uh, tree." But I once heard another interpretation. Uh, there's an interpretation that says like this: the way a person feels about himself, that's the way others are going to perceive him and feel what he is. Which means, if a person feels, and he has a certain confidence, and he gives that um, feeling when he comes into a room, and he has a certain self-esteem, and he has a certain presence, so just by him feeling that he's somewhat hashuv and important, so others will look at him in that way as well. Which is, you project a certain uh, uh, image or, or, or a perception, and that perception is uh, received by others. But if a person himself believes himself as a nothing, and that's the, uh, the vibes that he sends out to people, the people will perceive him as that uh, nothing that he thinks he is. And that's what the spies were saying over here. We felt like we were grasshoppers. And if we felt like we were grasshoppers, for sure that's the way they felt about us. Because if we had a low image about ourselves, for sure that was uh, uh, projected to other people as well. They must have felt the same thing. That's uh, a very important uh, point. A lot of times when a person thinks, how come they think about me this way? You have to start thinking for yourself for it. Why do I think about my... Maybe I'm sending those vibes out. Maybe they think of me this way because I'm projecting certain messages that the people will perceive me in this way over here. That's uh, why a person... If a person wants to have... Uh, 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 be uh, uh, you know, accepted in a proper way, first he has, to be, he has to accept himself. And that's why we say in the Birkat Kohanim that after all the blessings that are blessed, right... The end of the Bikat Kodim says, and God should give you peace. Now we always understand, for peace you need two people. Right? There's a mahloket, right? So there's two people fighting. So to say, you should, you, should, you should have peace among yourself. The explanation is that before you can be accepted by anybody else, first you have to have your own peace. A person has to be happy with who he is. A person has to be complete with himself first. Once a person is comfortable with who he is and happy with his existence, once he has shown that already, others will have the same feeling towards him. And that's the grasshopper syndrome that they're talking about over here. Comes the Gemara and continues. So the Pasuk continues. What happened that night? The Aida raises their voice, and they started to cry. They didn't want to go into Eris Israel. That day that the spies came back was Eris to Shabbat. And what? They cried which night? That means the spies came back on the 8th of Av. That means they cried that night, which was the night of Tishabiav. They cried for nothing. And therefore that night is going to be earmarked for a crying for the generations. You see over here, there was no reason for them to cry. God said the land is good. So what are you crying for? And God says, you want to cry? Therefore the Shabbat became the, uh, the night of national destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash, as well as the second Bet HaMikdash, as well as many other catastrophic events in Jewish history. That was the night in 1492 that the Jewish people were expelled from Spain, and that was also the beginning of World War I, 
was on Tisha B'Av, which changed the whole uh, face of the world, but many other events in between have happened on Tisha B'Av, and all that comes from what? Because they cried for no reason. For me, you learn a great lesson, which is a Musar, to teach not only ourselves, but our children. You have to be careful, you need a reason to cry. Which means there's such a thing as Wasted. tears that are labatala. You can't waste tears. Just like we say you can't waste food, you can't waste other things. Tears also are considered a commodity that you cannot waste. And Hatma Shalom, if there's such a thing as Bikiyash al Hinnam, God holds us accountable for this Bikiyah of Hinnam. That's why Allah Khim Barmanam, somebody loses a loved one. The Gemara says they can cry up to a certain amount of time. After a year. But after that, you gotta stop crying. And Hatma Shalom, if they hold on to it and they keep on crying and all that, God says you have more mercy than me. I said up to one year. Then God says, I'll give you another reason to cry. And therefore a person has to be careful. She's this halakhot and crying also. You have to know, is this something to cry about? And if it's not, then there's awakening and judgment. Are oh, you interested in crying? And now you'll cry for something else. That's an amazing concept. Comes the Gemara and continues. What happened? They wanted to stone Yeshua and Caliph. Because they were the ones that dissented. So they wanted to stone them. And right after that it says, And the glory of God was seen in oil mu'id. So what's the connection between the Pesukim? Wow, not only will they look at the stone caliph and uh, Yoshua, they actually took stones and they threw them towards the Shamayim. Now, I have to understand, uh, what does that mean, Tkrape Ma'ala? Which means, so some say they threw it towards the Anani Kavod. And some say no, but by trying to stone Kalev and Yoshua, it's as if they're stoning the Shilihim of Kadosh Baruch Hu, Shilohot Shadab Kivoto, and therefore they were stoning Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In any event, the Gemara continues, Vayamutu Anashim Mutsidivata Aris Naab Magifa. All those that spoke bad about the land, they died in a plague that ensued. What would happen to them? They died in unnatural death. What is that over here? Yeah, because the Pasuk says, Whenever you have the word Ba or the Patah, it's like says, They died in the, the special way. So what is it? It's in a, in a plague. But with the ba, with the patach, it makes it as if the the special one. What was the special plague? says, What happened to them? Their tongues started to become long, came all the way down. Their tongues became so long, it reached their belly button. And blood started to come out of their tongues. And went into their belly buttons. And then went up back into their tongues. And just kept on, uh, you know, a cycle of such a, of, uh, such a way. And that's the way they died. Now the question is, why would they die in such a miserable way? So the Mephashim explained, number one, we understand why their tongues elongated, because they used their tongues to speak Lashon and the bugs is referring to the Lashorah that they spoke, because they spoke bad. They tried to make the land putrid, so that's what happened to them. But why the belly bugs? The belly bug is the center of the body. And they spoke by the Eretz to say it was the center of the world. The Tabura Aris, they call it. So therefore, Midah, Kenegel Midah, Verav Nachman, Bar Yitzhak Amar, Be'askira Metu. No, they didn't die in such a, uh, you know, uh, unnatural death like that. They died of Askira. Askira is like um, asphyxiation, or the lack of breath, a certain type of asthma, where they are shortness of breath, where they cannot breathe. Comes the Gemaran says, back to the story of when the Jewish people crossed the Jordan River in the times of right? Once the last of the Jewish people crossed the Jordan River, what happened? So the waters came crashing down back into the back into the way. Which means let's review how this happened. The Kohanim were holding the Aron. The Kohanim were on the, the Transjordan, the outside of Israel, right? They stuck their feet in the Jordan River. The second the Kohanim stuck their feet in the Jordan, the water started going backwards. They just stood in place. As they stood in place, all the Jewish people crossed. After the last Jew crossed the Jordan River, the Kohanim stepped back. Now they were still on the other side. 
once they stepped back, the water came crashing down. Now, how did they get across? So comes again says, The waters went like it was the day before and the day before that. Aaron and its carriers were on one side. The Israel, the Jewish people were on the other side. What happened? Nasa Aaron it Nosav. The Aaron lifted the Kwanim off the ground, the Avar, and they flew across the Jordan River holding the Aaron Kodesh and Emar. Good. So you see that that was a, a, obviously a lesson to the Jewish person. You could all see the primacy of what the Torah represents. That the Torah carries the nation, therefore it was specifically done in that way. Everybody should see that it's the Torah that carries them. Don't think only in the Midbar. They studied Torah and they had the primacy of that. Now your sure is about to make wars. So I want everybody to see. This is what we fight. This is what helps us win the wars over the Aaron. You see, because the explanation they say is like this. That those people that are not connected to Torah, which is like a regular uh, person, let's say he's not connected to Torah as much. So he learns, he learns, uh, you know, whatever it is from time to time, whatever it is you want to say. team, Sadiq. He has the ability to change nature, like the sea, the Yadin going backwards. But those that learn Torah. They're on a higher level. They're able to keep the nature as it is and rise above it. That's already a much higher madriga. Because here, they then stayed intact. They were able enough to change the world. They're able to rise above the nature without having to change it. They just flew right over it. So that's why the uh, that was the message that Yeshua was trying to teach the uh, Jewish people at that time over there. Comes again, and says, once already we're telling stories about the Aaron. And the respect that one has to have for the Aaron, the Gemara goes now into a famous episode in the Tanakh. And the Gemara says, On this story, this is how Uzzah got punished. And Uzzah was the one that was uh, carrying the Aaron, and uh, what ended up happening was, we'll see, that he, uh, he ended up trying to catch the Aaron, he thought that it was falling out of the carriage that it was in, and he lunged out of respect, but he touched the Aaron, and it seems that the Aaron took the revenge on him. The Gemara says, This was when they were bringing the Aaron back after it was held in captivity, so they were taking the Aaron back uh, to, to the Jewish area. So what happened, this is the Pilishtim, they, uh, they sent the Aaron back in a wagon. Okay, with Agalot. So as it was coming back, so they walked as So he stuck his hand out to grab the Aaron. So God tells If the Aaron is able to carry those that are carrying it, shouldn't it be able to carry itself? You don't need to carry the Aaron. The Aaron can maintain itself. What happened? I got angry at Uzzah. Now what is al-shal? What does that word shal mean? So the Gebara says, That means uh, on the mistake. Shalu is a mistake. He made a mistake. That he forgot that you shouldn't uh, grab the Aaron. So the Kiddushah of the Aaron came after him. Oh. Some say he actually, uh, he did his needs in front of the Aaron, which means he, uh, he went to the bathroom in front of the uh, Aaron, which obviously was not a uh, respect uh, towards, uh, towards the Aaron. Good. Rashi says, The person, is to fall, meaning something fell from his body. Uh, which means uh, it came out of his body. Well, obviously it was a lack of uh, respect uh, in that case uh, as well. Okay, Rabbi Yochanan, so we said that over there. Sham im Arona Elohim. Okay, and he died over there with the Arona Elohim. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Uzzah ba le'olam abba. Even though he made that sin, he gets to olam abba. Shneimar im Arona Elohim. He died with the Aron. What does that mean? Ma Aron le'olam kayam af Uzzah ba le'olam abba. Just like the Aron is eternal. So to uh, Uzzah is eternal, which means he still has a halik le'olam abba. 
Now comes the Gemara and says an understanding. Now, uh, just uh, let's just clarify. The Mephashim do put it. He didn't urinate in front of the Aron Mamash. That would be a tremendous chutzpah. The Ozah would never, would never do such things. So the Mephashim say over here that uh, he went far away from the Aron, but still, even though he put, let's say, even a wall up, but it was in the proximity of that which is already uh, he was held uh, he was held responsible. Good. Right, it was in the same direction as the Aron, which is already uh, enough of a problem. Which means God got angry at David because David has a share in this uh, responsibility because he was the one that said to move the Aron. So he's like partly responsible for what happened to Uzzah, and that was a punishment to David that this this death of Uzzah should come through. David. When the Pasuk says, doesn't mean he got angry. Vayiha means his face turned black, like a, like a, like a cake that's on the coals that turns black. That David's face turned black. That why did God bring this death through his hands? So comes and says, which means, what do you mean, every time it says another word, it doesn't mean angry, it means blackened, like a harara, like a cake on a, uh, on coals. When it's anger, it normally will say, is referring to the anger. When it says, alone, it's referring to blackened. Now we question, why did God bring this, uh, this catastrophe to David Amelech? Why did David get punished? Because he referred to the Devre Torah as a song. The Vira Melech says, Your Torah was like songs to me when I was running away from Shaul HaMelech. It's so sensitive. If you close your eyes to Torah for one second, you forget it. You're calling them songs? Which means songs is like a luxurious item. You know, if you feel a song is not such an important thing. So the Torah is like oxygen. The Torah is like, uh, you know, more, more of a, more important item. So says, you, you took my Torah, that's so ashu when you called it a song. I'm going to make you make a mistake on something that even children know. And what is that? Who holds the, how was the Aaron transported? On the shoulders of the and he had it sent in a wagon, which you forgot, you don't put the Aron in a wagon. And what happened? As a result that he put it in the wagon, the wagon started to shake. The Aron looked like it was going to fall. Uzal lunged towards it. So God says, you call the Torah Zemirot, you're going to forget even something that every child knows, that you don't put the Aron in a uh, wagon. Now, the only question is, we have to give that the benefit of the doubt over here. Uh, did he really forget something that was so pashut? So the Fashim say over here an interesting shot. They say no. Let David Melech Vadai knew the law of Bekatifi son of Tarun is carried on the shoulders. Elahiel that they maybe that was a law only in the Midbar. In the Midbar they were on such a high level, they were able to carry the Aron directly. But once they came into Israel, he felt that they were on a lower level, therefore he said that that law of Bakatifi only applies to Dor Hamidbar. But maybe once you're in Israel, you can even put it on a wagon. So he had a sevara. It's not like he just came from nowhere to say put it on a wagon. He felt that this was, uh, you know, there was, a, there, was a, there was a logic to it. But still, God says, well, a mistake. Why did he make a mistake? Because he referred to Torah as zemirot, uh, as uh, songs. Comes the and says, Vayach be'anshebetshemesh kira'u be'aron. It says that when the Aron was uh, coming back, no, for Pelishtim. So it says the Aaron smote the people of Bet Shemesh, attacked them, the Aaron, because they looked at it. So the Gibra says, Mishum dirau vayach? Well, just because they looked at the Aaron, it, got, uh, it caused them to die? Rabbi Abu, Rabbi Azar, Had Amar, Kotsrin umishtahabim hayu. Once you know that people of Bet Shemesh, they respected the Aaron. They bowed it down to it. But the problem is, they didn't stop cutting. They were working in the fields, the people of Bet Shem. So when they saw the Aaron come by, with the sickle in the hand, they kept on you know, cutting the wheat, and they bowed down. God said, what kind of dedicated is that? You put your sickle down, and you bow down to the Aaron. Vehad amar mile name amur. That yeah, they bowed down to the Aaron, but they were talking. So therefore, that's considered already a 
בזיון. So that she says, לא בטלו ממלאכתם לכבודו. והאי ראו לשון בזיון, כמו אל תראו לי שאני שער חורת. Which is an amazing concept of it, which means it's not enough to give כבוד to the Aaron. A person, when the Sefer Torah comes out, a person goes up to the Sefer Torah kiss it. But if he's talking to his friend at the time the Sefer Torah is coming out, that's already בזיון to the Sefer Torah. If he's doing other things, he's holding his phone, when the Sefer Torah is coming out, he's showing kisses to the Sefer. I once was at a Sefer Torah dedication, it was one of the Gedolei Yisrael. And uh, there was a fellow, how it is in the Sefer Torah, they, they give the Sefer Torah to, to different people to dance with them, it's a beautiful thing. So there was one fellow that was uh, uh, smoking his cigar, and uh, his turn came, so he's carrying the Sefer Torah, and he, you know, he has a cigar in his mouth, and the Gadol was there, and he got so offended, he said, what does this man think, he's dancing with his wife? <laughs> what is this, the Sefer Torah, we had day, I have a, a, a cigar in his mouth at the time that he's carrying the Sefer Torah. So you see, it's not just enough to show Kevot to the Sefer Torah, but it's done by Derek B'Zayon. You see how strict uh, the Aaron uh, had no mercy. Uh, if there was mistreated, I don't know, with a job of disrespect, already there was a uh, punishment. Comes to Kevot and continues. We go to the Amud Bet. Man Amrech de Imriyat. Uman ata alach de'ifsiyat. Oh, what were they saying? They were saying to the Aron, these people of Bet Shemesh, when the Aron was coming by, what did they say to the Aron? Who angered you that you got so angry and you didn't save yourself when you were taken into captivity? And who appeased you that you came back alone? So they were asking Aaron, what happened? Aaron could do anything he wants. When you were in captivity, he didn't save yourself. He got offended. Who offended you that you didn't save yourself when you were in captivity? And what happened that you became appeased? So that was like a zuzul. They were talking to the Aaron. The people of Bet Shemesh, when the Aaron was coming, Pelishtim sent back the Aaron in a wagon. When it passed the area of Bet Shemesh, the people of Bet Shemesh bowed to the Aaron. Some say they bowed, but they were holding their sickle. Others say that when they were bowing, they were telling the Aaron, who angered you, Aaron, that you didn't save yourself, and who appeased you, as if they were making a little bizayon towards the Aaron itself. And what happened? Vayach ba'am shiv'im ish, hamishim elif ish. Now that's a contradictory in the Pasuk. What Pasuk says? Shiv'im ish. And then at the end of the Pasuk it says, how many people died? Hamishim elif, 50,000. So make up your mind, was it 70 people, or was it 50,000 people? Rabbi Abu, Rabbi Lazar, Had Amar Shiv'im Ishayu, Bechode Had Vehad Shakul, Kahamishim Elif. Wow. There was actually 70 people that died, but each one was valued, was worth like 50,000. Vehad Amar Hamishim Elif, Abu. Some say no, it was the opposite. 50,000 people died, Bechode Had Vehad Shakul, Kishiv'im Sanhedrin. Wow. And each one of them was Shakul, like the 70 members. That was the Vayakbam Shiv'im Ish. That these 50,000 that died, it was Hashuv, each one like the 70 members of the Sanhedrin. Okay, comes the Gemara and continues. Okay, now a beautiful interpretation the Gemara says. When they were bringing the Aaron back to its resting place, for David Amalek was there, it was a tremendous simha. Just every six steps that they took, they built the Mizbayah, and they brought Shor Umri. They brought Korbanot. That's a Be'emah Mifutemit. That's like a, a stuffed uh, uh, axe. The fattened, uh, fattened one. Okay, they brought uh, two Korbanot. Shor Umri. Okay, every six steps. Uchtiv, and then it says, Shiv'a Parim V'Shiv'a Elim. They brought seven bulls and seven rams. So how do we square that off? Did they bring a short umri or did they bring seven bulls and seven rams? Amar papa Shemuel, al kol u short umri. Every step they took, they brought two korbanot, the al kol shesh And every six steps, they brought seven and seven. So therefore the Pesukim have to be read like this when the Pesuk says that means every six steps meaning every step they took of six steps they brought two Korbanot and then the seventh step they brought already seven uh, Parim and seven uh, Elim over there. That's the that's what happened. Why is the They bring Korbanot. No, obviously there has to be something in the number why they chose that number. 
he says that Uzzah took six steps to catch the Aron. That was a tikkun for Uzzah. Beautiful. Okay, it's Radak. Beautiful. Amar Lerav Hazda. Ibkin miletat kol elis yisrael b'amot. He turned all elis into one big uh, altar. Every step they built an altar. Yeah. Whereas there's no roof or anything. So Gabzal says, So he changed it. He said, Every six steps, they brought a shorunumri. Every 36 steps, meaning six rounds of six. Okay, so different interpretations of it. He just made it less. But they brought to show you the respect they used to have for the Aron. That every six steps, they would bring so many sacrifices. It shows you the, the different uh, reverence that they had in the olden days towards the Arona Kodesh. Ketiv, one pasuk comes along and says, Kidon, Uchtiv Nachon. Now what is this uh, referring to over here? So it says like this, when it says they were bringing the uh, Aron from the house of Avinadav to uh, that's that's where Uzzah, you know, stuck his hand out uh, to catch the Aron. They were, they, were, they were moving the Aron from place to place. So what happened was, it says, they came to Goren Kidon. That's where it says he lunged at it. But another place calls the place Goren Nachon. So make up your mind, is it Goren Kidon or is it Goren Nachon? Where did Uzzah lunge at the Aron? What was the name of the place? Amar of Yohanan, Kidon. Ulbesof Nachon. Originally the place was called Kidon. Kidon is a sword. What is a sword? Sword is something that attacks. So originally it was Kidon, and then it became Nachon. Let's learn how this learns over here. Look at that. The sword, the, the Aron became like a, like a dagger. Because it killed Uzzah. So they called the place Kidon. But then it became Nachon. Which means, after that, the Aron stayed in the house of Oved, Edom, for six months. There, the Gemara is going to tell us he was blessed tremendously with Berakah. And as a result of his blessing, so the Gemara says they, the name of the place became Goren Nachon. Became the place of, that was right. She's originally the Aron revenged, it was Kidon, and then it became Nachon. The Gemara says that what was the blessing that when it was in Oved's house? It says Oved had um, children. Right? How many children did he have? So the Gemara says he actually had um, eight sons. After that, after Aaron was in his house for six months, the Pasuk said he had 62 descendants. So how is that possible? So the Gemara Rashi brings down that each one of his sons had six tuplets, had six children. So that automatically brought it to uh, 48. Yeah, then what? Plus the 8. Yeah. And each one gave birth to 6 Bekele Sehad. So he had Na'ab. So which means, oh, including himself, which means he had a set of 6. So he went from 8 to uh, 14. And each one of his 8 kids had six, so that's 48 plus 14 is 62. That's how you got to 62. So the amazing thing, in, in, in a small amount of uh, time, they all, so that's the fact of that question, it was only for six months, how did, uh, how did it happen? So they all conceived at the time, and they all ended up, uh, you know, bringing so many, all that was brought from the Beracha of Zaron. There's a fantastic Yerushalmi over here that has to be spoken at. Yerushalmi says, no, the Beracha was immediate. It was there for six months, Taron. A miracle happened that uh, Oved's wife, as well as his children, they were giving birth every two months. When normally the cycle would be nine months for pregnancy, every two months already they were giving birth. So you see, the Aaron, just by being in the house of Oved, brought to So already it started off as Kidon, but then it became Nachon. It became right. Now, the she brings that over here another interpretation, which is uh, we have to read. Let's read the she inside now. Look at Ulbesov, very important Nashiach. Shekhin et beto, dikhti, vay barek Hashem et oved edom, 
אשתו של עובד אדום ושמונה כלותיה, ילדו שישה שישה בכנס אחד. דהיינו דכתיב פעלתי השמיני כמנחו אלוהים. וכותיב אחר כך שישים ושניים לעובד אדום. ושמעתי בשם רבי מנחם ורבי חלבו גודל נכון, זה לא עוזה. גודל נכון הוא גודל ערבנה היבוסי. Aravna was the fellow that David HaMelech bought the plot for the Beit HaMikdash. So originally it says, V'imken haki garsinan, B'tehilan nachon. Originally the Beit HaMikdash, that area is called nachon, which means it was established. The Beit HaMikdash was built. Ul besof kidon, but eventually that area where the Beit HaMikdash was built became kidon. What does kidon mean? Destroyed. Because the temple was indeed destroyed. So Kidon is Lashon of Chorban. So that she brings an alternate interpretation that's got nothing to do with Ozah. The original place of the temple was Nachon, and then it became Kidon, which is Lashon of destruction. Comes the Gemara and continues. Nimset Atta Omer. Gemara says, Now let's discuss. There were three different episodes. <coughs> with stones. Now we should know these three episodes where there were stones uh, lifted in order to make a monument. Gemara says, Echad Shekim Moshe Be'eres Mo'av One was where Moshe Rabbeinu established stones in the land of Mo'av, Shene Emar. Why do we know that he established a monument of stones in the Mo'av uh, section? Be'erayarden Be'eres Mo'av and the Be'erayarden Be'eres Le'es Mo'av Mo'il Moshe Be'er משה רבנו אקספליין דה תורה. ולנו אומר, וכתבת עליהם את כל דברי התורה הזאת בערב טבע. ויהושע told the people to erect stones and write the Torah on those stones. It says, write the Torah on the stones בערב טבע. Explain it. בערב בערב. So just like יהושע erected stones, must be משה רבנו also erected stones. אם לא תנסיין בפירוש, זאת אומרת, זה רשבה. Ba'er, Ba'er. So that's the first the, uh, uh, monument of stones that was in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. Ve'atya Ba'er, Ba'er. Ve'achad she'kim Yehoshua betoche Yerden, that we learned already, that in the Jordan as a monument that the Jews should know in the future that the Jordan split. Right? He told the people in the Jordan, lift a stone up and put it at the foot of the Jordan River so everybody will know that the water split. She'ne'emar ve'shtem ase'abanim ekim Yehoshua betoche Yerden. Ve'achad she'kim ba'gilgal. Remember that was when they finally came to their resting place. The first night that they came yeah. into Eretz Yisrael, they built the Mizbeach by Har Nevo and Har Eval. Then they dismantled the Mizbeach after they wrote the Torah on these stones in 70 languages. And then they went to Gilgal and they erected a monument. So there were three different monuments. One in Ayvara Yerden by Moshe, one at the foot of the Jordan River, that was a memory of the splitting of the Jordan, and one at the place of Gilgal, which was the first place where the Jewish people settled on that night. We have a bright, we learned that on these stones, the twelve stones, Moshe Rabbeinu told, or Yeshua told the people that they have to write the Torah in 70 languages, on the stones. Now the question is, how did they write it? So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yudamir al-Gabe Abanim Katwa. They wrote it on the bare stones. Shneemar v'chetavta al-Abanim et kol devrei ha-Torah azot v'ahalkak sadu otan besid. Then they put limestone over the words. So they covered it. Now the reason why they would put the limestone over it, it's hard to read it if they're covering it, right? Out of kavod. Just like we have a law that says you don't have to leave the Sefer Torah exposed or opened. So if you're going to put the, if you're going to write the Torah on the stones and leave it uncovered, it's not kavod. So they wrote it on the stone and then they covered it with limestone. So it comes again. Now again, which stones are these? This is the stones of the Mizbeach. That was in Har Girizim and Har Eval. This is right when they came into Eretz Israel. They built them, and on the, on the wall of the Mizbeh, they wrote the Sefer Torah in 70 languages, and they covered it. So it comes to Gabbana as a strong question. Amar al-Rabi Shimon, Lidvarecha, He'ach lamdu umot shilotu ha-zeman Torah. The whole purpose of writing the 70 languages so the Goyim are going to go study the Torah. Right. How did they read it if it was covered in limestone? Which means you have to understand the purpose of this. The purpose over there was that God wanted the Goyim. To not have an excuse to come along and say, we didn't know about the Torah, we didn't know the law. So therefore he wrote the Torah, had it written in 70 languages, so the Goyim could come along 
and read it, so therefore they're going to be held liable and responsible. So the Bishamon asked the obvious question, if they're supposed to read it, so they know what to do, how are they going to read it if there's limestone on top of it? It's covering the letters. So comes again, look at she says, the only reason why they interpreted it into 70 languages, in order to come and learn it. So there won't be a claim that the Green will have, and they'll say, you're going to come and say, hey, we didn't know the seven minutes up in there. No, uh, we didn't know the laws. Hey, you had the opportunity. You could have learned the laws. This is specifically referring to when the Jews came into Eretz Israel. They had an obligation to kill all the inhabitants. Anybody did not accept upon themselves the uh, mitzvot. So they were, they're going to have a claim. Uh, we didn't know what the mitzvot was. We didn't know what Judaism is all about. Uh, here it is. You, you could have went, uh, went and read it. Now we'll see exactly in, in a moment uh, this, this concept. Amar no, so the Buddha says, Bina yitera natam kadosh baruch God gave the goyim uh, great intuition. God sent, or the Goim sent their scribes to the stones. The kilfu etasid, they chipped away the limestone. and they copied it on uh, on their own scrolls, and they brought it back to the Goim. And because of these stones over here, the Gezardin, the judgment of the Goyim, was that they ended up in doom and destruction. They had a chance to learn the Torah, and they did not. Now let's read Rashi. Notirin shalem, sofrim shalem, okay, let's take on notirin. V'siua, v'yantikua kalman natua mishcham ayadeh ataka. They copied again with the Goyim. The Benish High explains that this was done again on purpose. Because if they only wrote it on the stones and they put the limestone on the bottom and the words on top, the words would have been written clearly. They would not have to copy it over because it would be evident, they would be able to read it uh, clear. The fact that they had to chip away the limestone, the letters became very uh, dulled as a result of it. So you needed these experts to write it on their own parchments in order that the Goim will be able to read it. And as a result, they brought these scrolls back so everybody was able to see it. Which means, if it was written on the stones themselves, they wouldn't have copied it over. And therefore, it wouldn't have been accessible to as many Goim as it was. As a result of writing the limestone over it, they were forced to chip it away. Now, since it was illegible, they had to write it over and what they thought it said. And then they brought the copies to everybody else, and now by reading it, they knew what the Torah was, therefore nobody can have an excuse if they did not accept the Torah itself. Now, we have to uh, explain over here, again, when we talk about that they wrote it in the uh, uh, 70 uh, languages over here, it was in order for them to, to see what was going on. Good. Which means this is the claim why the Guim, they, they, they don't have a claim why, why, why they didn't keep the Torah, they come along and say that they, they didn't have it. But they had it because they read it. Now the Bishim Onomer, no, he says the, the opposite. No, they actually wrote the Torah on the limestone. So the limestone they put on the stone first, and when you write on limestone, the letters become very clear. It's like a shellac. Now they're able to, to see it uh, very, very clear. Here's the key, according to Bishimon. On the bottom of the whole Torah, they wrote the following line. In order that you should not do all the abominations and all the sins that, um, that have been done. And then it says over here, which means like this. There's a great machloket amongst the Rishonim regarding the Goim that were in Eretz Yisrael. According to some Rishonim, the Goim that the seven nations in Eretz Yisrael, when the Torah says, you're not allowed to give them any life, 
that means you have to kill all the seven nations. Even if they want to convert, you're not allowed to accept them. But outside of Eris Israel, the nations that wanted to convert had a chance to convert. So that's what these stones were for. For anybody that was an outsider, that was interested in looking at the Torah and seeing it, if they would read it and get inspired, they would be able to convert and we'd be able to accept them. So therefore they wrote on the bottom of the stone, this is for everybody's information, that if they want to change their ways and make the Shuvah, they will be accepted by Kabrim Otam. Look at Rashi. Vechatvu melemata. Besofadaf, on the bottom of the stone, lemaran ashed lo yilamidu od leel minikitim. Above that it says, ki acharem tacharimim. God says you have to kill all the inhabitants of Eris Israel. But on the bottom it says, The seven nations that were living outside, which means you had the seven nations that were in, but you had the seven that were living also outside. What are the seven nations? Hati, Emori, Perizi, Yibushi, Girgashi, etc. So those that were living outside, those you didn't have to kill. Only those that were inhabiting in Israel. Why did we have to kill all these seven nations in Israel? Israel? Because God said, I don't want you to learn from their ways. Their ways are corrupt. You're going to move in. If you're going to have these people as neighbors, they're going to corrupt you. Therefore, the mitzvah was to kill all of them. But you seven nations that are living outside of Israel, if you make the shuvah, we'll accept you. But inside, you don't accept why should Mahmat Tidaus, they're only doing it out of fear. So therefore, that's what they wrote. So therefore, all these stones were for the people outside of Israel, the seven nations. Let's say you have a Canaan, he doesn't live in Israel, he lives outside of Israel. He read the stones, he saw the Torah, he said, you know what, I want to convert. They would accept him. But if they wouldn't, they would get killed as well. And that's what brought them down into their uh, destruction, because they, they can't say, hey, we didn't know. Hey, you know, hey, you have the uh, Torah written on, uh, on these stones over there. And that's what they wrote on the bottom, in big letters, according to some of the Mephazi, in bold letters. If you make the Shuvah, we're going to accept you. So everybody had a clear understanding what the, what the score was. What's the reading that Abish Shimon says that they wrote the limestone, they put the limestone on the stones first, then they wrote on top of it? Because the Pasuk says, it says in Yeshaya, which means the, uh, the um, Goim are going to be burnt like limestones. Now what does it mean they're going to be burnt like limestones? Al-eske seed. Mean they're going to be burnt like limestones because they didn't learn the Torah that was written on limestone. That's the connection. They're going to burn because of the subject of the limestone. What's the subject of the limestone? The Torah that was written on the limestone. The Be'udah, as you learned that Pasuk, Key seed, like limestone. Ma seed, and the tekanah They're going to be burnt like limestone, just like limestone. The only way to prepare limestone is you got to put it in the furnace to burn it. Af otam kutim elam tekanah ela sinefa. So those kutim do not make the shuvah. Their only tekanah is what to burn them like the limestone itself. Look at Rashi. Rashi says ela sinefa. As long as those goyim on the other side did not convert, so therefore they're uh, they're destined in the Ginam. The Gemara goes one more point. We have a following Braita. The Braita tells us when the Jewish people go into Israel, right, and they're going to go into a war, and they're going to take a woman into captivity. The Pasuk says, right, they're going to have captives, and they're going to take a lady. Into captivity. So the Pasuk says, Veshabita Shavyo. Now that's a double language. Why is it Shavita Shavyo? It should just say that uh, you, you, you'll, you'll have a captive. What does that have to say? It's, uh, what does that have to say over here? We know already you're taking captives because it says, Viraita Bashavya Eshtifaton. You're going to see a beautiful lady in captivity. So what does that have to say, Veshabita Shavyo? So the Gemara says, Lirabot Kena'anim Shibhutsala Aris. That not only the Kena'im and Eris Israel, but even the Kena'im and Hutsala Aris. If you find the Kanaani lady, you'll be able to, to convert her. So who's that going like? What Shita says that if the Goyim on the other side of Eretz Israel 
convert, you accept them. So the Gemara says, Keman, Kerebi Shimon, it's got to be going like the Bishimon. Because the Bishimon Shita was the whole reason why you put the stones on the other side of the Jordan River was so the Goyim can see it, and even if they'll make the Shuvah, you can accept them. So then when it says, Meshavita Shavuot, it means that even the Goy that was on the other side of the Jordan River, a Kanani lady, if she would make the Shuvah, you'd accept it. Just look at the Rashi in the bottom, Meshavita Shavuot, the Rabot Kanani Shavuot, it says, Dekrab, the Honsalis, because the Pasuk was referring to outside of Israel, because it says, Kitetzel Melchamah. You're going to go out to war. Where's the war? Me'ares lehutza la'ares. Ve'akitanya b'svniki. Tetzel melchamah. Which type of war we talking about? Me'melchimet arishut ha'ketu b'daber. Dechit tetzel melchamah. Tetzel Mean the war over here with Tumah. That in Israel. Tetzel melchamah. You're making the war outside. Ve'shavita shavyo. And you're going to take somebody into account. Not a regular goy. A regular goy, you don't have to kill them. Even if you're going to take a kena'ani, where normally you have to kill the kena'ani, that they're not going to be part of the Gezerah and the Shammah. And the question, well, I thought you have to kill them. No, but if they make the Shuvah, you'll accept them. Who must be that going like? That must be going like the Shittav, the Bishu, and the Nashi. Because that's why he said you wrote on the bottom of the stones, Shiyahzeru b'tshuvah b'yikablum. Alma lo ayu ha'omdim chutz l'gimudim b'chlal lo ta'yek on the Shammah. According to Rabbi Yehuda, they were all included. That's why Rabbi Yehuda, he didn't write on the bottom of the stones according to Rabbi Yehuda. Whoever makes the Shuvah will be accepted. No. They wrote the stones, they covered them in limestone, and that's it. There, that is no excuse of it. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, the, the Goyim, even on the other side of the Jordan, the seven nations had no chance to, to make the Shuvah at all. They were... Uh, they're going to be destroyed. Also, when the Pasuk comes along and says that if a Kana'ani lady converts in a war, you can accept her. Who that must be going like? Must be going like the Bishron that says that the seven nation law that says you have to kill them all only applies to those that were living in Eris Israel, but those who were living in Osla'aris, if they make the Shuvah, as was said on the bottom of the uh, stones, they will live. Amen.